get started today as we continue our look at this present time. Uh, it's the theme that we are observing for this year, but I want to tell you what today is about. It's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and we want to talk about the war for life. I, I know war could be construed to be the wrong word. We're not talking about violence. We're not talking about meanness. We're talking about the contention for life. We're talking about our belief in life and not just the typical battles like abortion, but um, the, the, the sanctity of life, the violence in our streets, the disregard for human life uh, that should be felt in, on so many levels uh, in our society. We have some restructuring to do. And as a church, we are committed to the fight for life. Um, we believe very strongly in it. We, um, we have some um, material for you today. One, now this is a kind of a little provocative cover. It says they're coming for your children. But it's from Palmetto Family Matters. There's a lot of good information in here and a way that you can connect with this organization. Um, we, we are connected with them as a church we found that they've been very helpful. Take some time to look over it. Um, there's a website you can go to. And then we have a couple of books that we offered way back on human, uh, uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday back in 2020. We've got some copies left and we're giving them to you free today. Uh, now this is in regard, this message is not just about abortion, even though it's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But the books are. <clears throat> they're both by Scott Klusendorf, and uh, they, are, they are very powerful books, well-written, uh, will, will help anybody from any background. The first is The Case for Life, uh, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. Uh, it's free as long as supplies last. You can pick those up uh, at the table in the foyer. And then there is Pro-Life 101, a step-by-step -step guide to making your case persuasively, how, how to speak intelligently um, about the issue of being pro-life, which we are. And uh, let's begin our message today. Uh, first of all, I need to say thank you to Pastor Corey. Um, I was um, with a friend um, that um, is in um, hospice care and I felt like I needed to be with uh, last weekend. Uh, and Corey filled in, uh, boy, that's, that's such a, that's such a meh term, it filled in. He, he preached, um, and he did such a good job, he stole about two-thirds of my message. Um, he, he didn't have my message, uh, but uh, it's a good feeling when somebody in Corey's position is feeling the same thing I'm feeling. Uh, what was on my heart was on his heart. Uh, you say, well, did that bother you? O only when I thought I'm going to have to put another day, a full day end of sermon preparation because I can't use this sermon. Uh, then I thought about naming it uh, what Corey meant to say, you know, <laughs> and just saying the same stuff. But um, I tell you, when, when uh, all was said and done at the end of the message, I realized he didn't touch my summary. So I'm going to go with the summary, and uh, uh, I think it'll complement what Corey said. Corey, thank you for hearing the Lord. That was a great message. 
and uh, we appreciate it so very much. Let's, uh, let's begin with our prayer as we customarily do. Let's look to the screen and pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We, uh, this message is not coming out of a vacuum. Uh, three years ago in 2020, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we felt that um, under the direction of what we felt was the Holy Spirit, we, we wanted to really hit the pro-life message, particularly in regard to abortion, uh, very heavily. Um, we are in a culture, and we're not about throwing punches or, or casting stone. We're just living in a culture that is becoming less and less in agreement with the traditional Christian views. Now, we believe everybody has a right to their own views. We believe that there ought to be equal justice for all. There ought to be equal rights for all. That's not the issue. But we realize that culture, uh, in our view, was slipping in a direction that we didn't think was healthy. We also felt that there had been too much pushback from our own congregation of people that said abortion's wrong, but. Um, and I realized what was happening is the most, the most seminal uh, fight against life was beginning to seep into the congregation, uh, as it is most congregations. And we wanted to draw a line, not, not to challenge, but we wanted to draw a line to say, this is what we believe. And we used two Sundays to do that. We offered these books. We had uh, pro-life counselors available in the, the foyer. We went to great lengths to say that we're not condemning those that have gone chosen the path of abortion, but we want to be a house of healing, a house of help. And uh, we want to put a balm of healing in the culture, not toxicity and not venom. We felt like we did a good job. We felt like we broke through some real opposition three years ago. Then uh, what we found is that when COVID came, and by the way, this is just family talk today. Uh, it's, it's, it's a warning and a concern and a call to love by a pastor that uh, is very passionate about this. Um, we felt that when COVID came, the focus turn to everything except uh, uh, abortion in, the, in a positive sense. Um, we, we quickly saw the momentum that we gained in two weeks lost in two months. And no pastor likes to say we, we've lost momentum, but we lost the momentum that we gained uh, in, in January of 2020. And um, a lot of times whenever the fight was about this, that, or the other, didn't matter what the fight was about, there was a paragraph added to the end that said, and abortion is wrong, but, and that told me that people haven't really grasped how firmly committed to the message of life that we are. Um, I even said a few months ago, if, if you want us to be a church that says, well, everybody's view is equally important, 
we're in a culture that says, well, what, whatever your truth is, we believe that there is, now it's up to us to interpret it correctly, but we believe that there is a divine truth, there's an absolute truth, it's the word of God. Now that's an awesome responsibility for us to interpret that truth correctly. A lot of churches don't, a lot of people don't. Um, and a lot of Christians with the best intentions really misrepresent a lot of things. I know that. Um, but we, we're, we're never going to be a church that takes our cue from the world. And we're never going to be a church that lets our doctrine fluctuate with a Gallup poll. So we, we want to come back to this today. And I want to talk to you about what I'm calling the war for life, or if you want to look at it from the negative perspective, um, you could say the war against life. There is a war being waged against life, but there is also a war being waged for life. And it's not just abortion. I want to tell you, a church that is pro-life speaks to more than just abortion. They speak to that. I think that is the seminal moral problem in our culture. Um, uh, you, you, and we've got to be careful what we listen to. Uh, uh, let me go on, uh, because I, I don't want you, you may be away from your medication right now, and I don't want you to have to, I, you know, I'm teasing. But um, um, we, we, are, we are in a war for a culture of life. That means the ridiculous lawlessness that is permeating our culture today is wrong, like abortion is wrong, to disregard the life of a person so that you shoot them or you run over them or you push them in front of a subway train. That's the same spirit that drives uh, all kinds of, of lifelessness and, and it's a war against life. We need our uh, seniors to be sure that they understand how valued they are, how, how honored they are. In the old uh, culture of Israel. Um, in the book of Moses, it said that when someone with gray hair, someone with gray hair entered a room, everybody else in the room was to stand in honor to the person with gray hair. Nowadays, that'd probably get you slapped. Some of you saying I'm old, you know, but it was, it was a thing, it was a thing in, uh, in, in Israel. They honored age. Uh, a, a grandfather was honored by his grandchildren. Uh, uh, a great-grandfather was honored by his descendants. So being pro-life is a lot more than just being anti-abortion. Uh, we create a culture of life. That means we take adoption seriously. It means that we take uh, foster care seriously. It means that we take our own families seriously. It means that dads be dads and Moms be moms. Um, I want to tell you what I think we're up against. We know that there is a spirit of deception at work. The Bible calls it the spirit of Antichrist. In fact, the Bible says three things against, uh, about Antichrist. It says there is going to be one day, one day there's going to be a person that is the Antichrist. We know that. But John also said, but right now there are a lot of false teachers of Antichrist. And not only are there false teachers of Antichrist, but he says there is a spirit of Antichrist that's already at work in the world. 
So we've got to understand there's a lot of deception. That's why the next two or three weeks, I want to talk about the proper mindset for living in this present time. You know, the Bible, you say, Pastor, you're really sounding scattered today. That's just, I'm not. What was I saying? No, I'm kidding. Um, the, the, um, we're talking about living in this present time. When we talk about the whole armor of God, you know, where he talks about have the sword of the spirit, shield of faith, the, the shoes of peace, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. He calls the helmet, the helmet of salvation. And in another passage, Paul said, the helmet of salvation is the helmet of hope. Now, follow me here for 30 seconds, and I think you'll get where I'm trying to go with this. The helmet of salvation is not just being saved. It means that you live life with an understanding of what is coming. The helmet of salvation protects us because we understand what is coming. And to understand what is coming, we've got to understand what's going on around us. So in the next two or three Sundays, I want to talk to you about um, the devil's twins, as David Wilkerson called it, fretting and fear. If you watch Nacho Libre, you remember those little guys, Satan's cavemen? They were, they were boogery. And Satan maybe does have some cavemen, uh, but they're called fretting and fear. And the enemy, the psalmist said, wants us to be so wrapped up in fear that it leads to fretting. You know, what if? And we're no match for this. We can't overcome this. So we're going to talk a little bit about fretting and fear, and we're going to talk about rewards that will come in heaven. We won't get our rewards here. Now, we may get some accolades. We may get some pats on the back. But we are laboring for rewards on the other side. And we want to talk about what the Bible really says about that. Um, we've said that... Are you guys still with me this morning? We've said that um, we don't go to heaven because of works. And that's true. It's by the grace of Jesus. None of us have works good enough to get us to heaven. But the role of works is for our reward. We do works for reward. Uh, and that doesn't mean everything we do, we do because we're going to get notice for it. No, it just means works have a place, but it's not for salvation. It's not for salvation. You and I can never get to heaven working our way there. But we, one preacher put it this way, our works can't get us to heaven, but our works follow us to heaven. And, and we get reward. But um, we're going to talk about that deception. And I do believe when I'm talking about war, I'm talking about spiritual conflict, in my opinion, that is unprecedented in my life. And I've lived a pretty good while. I've never seen a time of such widespread, intensive nastiness as there is in our society right now. Um, I think um, what happens is, especially in America, they, hey, I'm, I'm, we're, we're getting there, okay? Um, especially in America, we're not used to persecution. We're not even used to pushback. So when pushback comes, we say, nobody's going to treat me that way. I've got my rights and I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. And nobody's going to treat me that way. Well, it may, you need to understand that may be exactly the way, reason you're being treated that way. You are a child of God. In this world, you shall have tribulation. In this world, you will know persecution. I remember when I was, um, and, and to, to really get 
help you understand where I'm trying to go. We're in a conflict, but it must not become a personal conflict. The gospel, it's impossible for the gospel to not be offensive. But we need to be sure that the offense that people take is with the gospel, not with us. And I don't think we've learned that yet. We, we are trying to share the greatest news possible, and we're doing it largely in an offensive way. I remember when I was in high school back, uh, uh, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I, I was sitting uh, outside during a break. They, in those days, you had breaks. You could go to a common area or whatever. I was sitting by myself. I was reading my Bible. And there was a guy, one of the toughest guys in school, and it was not uh, an easy place to go to school. He was known for his fights. He had known for the way he had hurt people. And uh, I, I sat there, and he came and sat down in front of me, and I just kept reading. And he turned at me and said, hey, what are you reading? I said, my Bible. And I expected, you know, here's my chance for martyrdom. And uh, I said, my Bible. And... Uh, he said, read on. And that was not the response I intended. So you know what I did since I was ready for martyrdom? I said, I was. Tough man. Nobody's going to tell me what I can't read. I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. Nobody's going to tell me I can't read my Bible. And the moment I did that, he just looked at me and then Looked away, figured I was too little to mess with, probably. And I realized in my spirit, I just lost. I had an opportunity to talk to him about the love of God and the emptiness in his life, but in an attempt to stand for righteousness, I blew a chance. I was never able to talk to him again. I tried. And I'm afraid that many of us don't realize that what society has done to us right now, what culture has done to us, what um, maybe even the news has done to us, is it's, it's created in us a fear that we are being wronged and persecuted. And I think we are, we, meaning Christians. But I think we have made the classic mistake of drawing the line in the wrong places and the way we conduct ourselves is we either cave and don't believe anything or we believe something so strongly that as the church in Ephesus, we've forgotten our first love and we say things like, well, the gospel's going to be offensive to people. Yeah, it is, but it's not supposed to be that we are offensive to people. Now, Jesus... Jesus knew he was full of grace and truth. He knew how to be loving and kind, but hold the line on righteousness. There was a woman brought to him and uh, taken in adultery. They wanted to stone her. And Jesus um, began to deal with the crowd. I won't take time to tell the whole story, but they, they left. All the accusers left. And um, Jesus probably touched some moment of guilt in their life or something in their life. I always wondered where all those righteous men knew where to find the prostitute, you know. But that's, a, that's speculation. That's another story altogether. And um, he, he said, woman, where are your accusers? 
And she said, there's no man, Lord, no accusers here, no con condemners. And Jesus said something that is so powerful. He said, neither do I condemn you or uh, I'm not accusing you either. And to those that don't read the whole story, that means Jesus says, it doesn't matter how you live. You just go ahead. Everybody's got to make a living. So you just go ahead and live the way you want to live. Jesus didn't say that. He said, I'm not condemning you, but go your way and don't do this anymore. Don't sin anymore. You see, yeah, the gospel is offensive, but it ought to be offensive because of our demands of our flesh, not because of the way it's presented. So that's what we're dealing with today. We saw last year uh, concerning pro-life, talking about abortion, we saw a phenomenal thing happen that, that I've prayed for for 50 years. It, it is the turnaround of Roe v. Wade. And um, what they said is that it's got to go back to states. It was not done right. It's not a federal decision. It's a state decision. It didn't end abortion, but it was a huge step in the right direction. And uh, uh, we got so excited. We were shouting and praising, and we were celebrating the lives that wouldn't be lost. Last year, 80 million babies were aborted, world, you know, and 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 we don't even have accurate numbers from some places, and um, we were we were celebrating, and then we just a, a, a firestorm of horrible, venomous, rotten things were said to the church about the justices, and and this is all the fault of the Christians, and you know that blew most of us out of the water because we weren't expecting pushback. But let me tell you what I think happened. You can find a model of this in 1 Samuel, um, about chapter 2 or 3, when they, Israel went to war, they got whipped badly. And they came back and said, well, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. You remember Indiana Jones, and the, the, the lost Ark? They had the Ark. They said, we're going to go into battle with the Ark. And they were so excited because Israel was excited because they viewed the ark as a good luck charm. And if you've got your good luck charm, you win battles. But as I've said before, um, they, they spelled power different, or God spells power differently than we do. Uh, God spells power, not P-O-W-E-R, but God spells power P-U-R-I-T-Y. To God, purity is power. It's not in stuff. Some may trust in horses, the psalmist said. Some may trust in chariots, but we trust in the Lord our God. And um, when they saw the ark coming, they got all excited and they cheered and they, they you know, and it scared the uh, Philistines to death. They, they had just defeated Israel. They were, they, they, Israel had almost no weapons. Um, because the, the, Philist, uh, the people of Philistia wouldn't let them learn how to make swords and, and spears. And uh, even when they needed their, their plow, uh, plows and other farming instruments sharpened, they had to go to the cities of Philistia to have it done. So they were, they were outgunned, Israel was. And, but they were frightened, the Philistians were, when they heard this roar and they found out that the ark was with them. And they knew something that Israel had forgotten. They said, the God 
that they serve has come into their camp. This is the God that destroyed Egypt. This is the God that won all of those battles for them. This is the God that drove our neighbors out of the land, many of them. And, and uh, they said, we, this is what Philistia said. Men of Philistia, we must fight as we have never fought before because this is the makings of victory for Israel. And I tell you what I believe. I believe that we are seeing things in society that are not victory, but they're the makings of victory. And the enemy is scared to death. And they have responded with a better fight than they had before. I say they. We'll talk about evil, whatever, whether it's a person, a spirit, a philosophy. And um, we've got to come to grips with the, with the understanding that... Um, we have some great seeds of victory sown, but we've got to walk this out. You say, well, yeah, but they won the battle. No, they didn't. Israel did not win the battle. It was a brutal loss. The sons of the high priest were lost. It disturbed the high priest so much he fell over backwards and, and probably a stroke broke his neck and died. And, um, uh, and the ark was taken. And we must understand, loved ones, that it, there's never a time as the people of God that's more dangerous as when the fire has gone out and we don't know it. I, I've said, I started saying it in 2020, God is sending us through a period where we learn to love the way Jesus loves, where we learn to stand for the gospel without standing in the way of the gospel. And it's hard, it's hard to love folks that don't love you. It's hard to love folks that think you are the source of the problem. It's hard to love folks that feel society would be better if you were gone. But that's our job is to learn to love. Now, I, I want to I give you my summary here very quickly. Um, well, as quickly as I can go. Um, we want to we establish three things before we wrap it up with our... With our uh, Christian life lessons. Number one, we need to understand there is a war. If you don't like that war, call it conflict. Uh, but there is a war against life. And we must learn to stand for life the right way. Number two, there is a necessity of embracing life in our worldview. Um, and number three, we need to understand some of the challenges of living in a time of war. Then, we're, then we'll touch on the life lessons for our conclusion today. We also want to conclude our time together praying over 10 prayer points. I'll give you a little more direction as we, as we get there. But Romans 13, 11, 12, um, you know what sort of times we live in. And so you should live properly. It is time to wake up. You know that the uh, day when we will be saved is nearer now than when we first put our faith in the Lord. Night is almost over and day will soon appear. And here's the clincher we want to look at. He, we must stop behaving as people do in the dark and be ready to live in the light. We pray the Holy Spirit will help us understand how to live in the light even when the surrounding is very, very dark. Now, 
There is a war against life. Corey talked about this. I, I encourage you, uh, we, we're going to, in fact, we're turning them, going to turn them into booklets, the two messages from 2020. Um, we're not, they're not on our website to just access, but we'll, we'll work out something. Uh, I, I thought about just re-preaching them, but those were special messages for that day, and we'll make them available. But um, uh, there's so much we dealt with in those two messages that I don't want to deal with today. But we are in a fight for life. Molech and child sacrifice in the Old Testament was the reason that the Amalekites, the Ammonites, uh, the Moabites, the Jebusites, all of those ites were driven out. It was not God just saying to Israel, I like you better and I'm going to run these people out and you can have their land. They were being punished for their sins, the ites were, not that you're ites, but the ites were, and I'm seeing a map in front of me, but uh, they, were, they were driven out, and uh, in fact, that's the reason Israel had to stay in Egypt for 400 years was because God said, I'm going to bring you into this land, but I can't do it until I execute judgment against all of these, or I'm ready to execute judgment against all of these people. And there's one nation, he said, one nation that their cup of iniquity is not yet full. That's found in Genesis. God was saying there's one nation that still might survive this. So I've got to let them live it out and do what they're going to do. And so Israel waited for God to be just in driving out all of the ites. And he brought Israel in. And um, the, we, we talked in that other message about the horrors of child sacrifice. Uh, you say, well, that's different. Those were children that were alive. You're talking, when you're talking about abortion, you're talking about a fetus. Well, no, I mean, who of us, uh, first of all, science is increasingly leaning toward life beginning at conception. Uh, those that don't agree are the loudest, but science is moving steadily in that direction um, for reasons that I'm not qualified or do I have time to talk about today. But, um, uh, you know, you say, well, a, a baby in the womb is not big enough. Well, at what point does a child grow that they're big enough, you know. Uh, we have people with physical limitations all the time that can't take care of themselves. So why don't we just kill all of them? Why don't we do away with them? Um, they're, you know, a, a baby can't reason well. You know, a baby doesn't know how to reason with complex ideas and thought. Hey, I pastored lots of people don't know how to reason well with, com you know, complex thoughts. I've, I've known a lot of pastors. Um, I've visited there a time or two, you know. Um, no, seriously, we've got to understand that for years the battle is, you know, life begins here, life begins there. Even if you take the view that says we don't know when life begins, that is an argument against abortion, not for abortion. That, that's a statement that says because we don't know when life begins, we ought to sh stay clear of of. Um, of abortion. Charles Krauthammer, who was not even a Christian as far as I know, put it this way. He said, if we were demolishing a 30-story building downtown, we would do everything in our power to be sure no human being was in that building. 
we would do everything to say there is no life here. And only when there is no life here would we demolish the building. If we saw on a security camera somebody run through, maybe a homeless person that thought maybe this was a safe place of refuge, if they saw any possibility of life, everything would be shut down because life is so important you don't want to do anything to take away life. That's the way we ought to view abortion. We ought to understand, even if you don't believe life starts at conception, you can't decide, you, you can't tell me when it begins. You say, well, when they're outside of the mother's body. What is so mas magical and mystical about a nine-inch birth canal? What, what changes from coming out of the body, I'm serious, from coming out of the mother's body uh, out into this world. There's nothing mystical or magical. There's no customs to go through. It's, it, it's the passing of life to its new home, but it's life. It has heartbeat. We, we need to understand that it doesn't matter if Molech was performed on living children usually up to about age two. What matters is that the respect for life was gone. And that's the society we're living in. And again, I'm not trying to be theologically uh, 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 eloquent today. I'm not trying to give you a theological treatise. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a warning as a pastor that we and every church is in a place of judgment right now. And we need to decide what we're going to be and what we're going to believe. I don't have time to, to, to condemn other churches to hell. I don't have time to criticize other pastors. I'm responsible for this congregation. And I believe that we are absolutely convinced that we want to be connected with pro-life for the elderly, for the unborn, for those with problems, for those that are infirm, for those that didn't develop the way we thought they ought to develop, life is sacred. And when we, until we get to the point we make that, and if we really believe that, that means we're going to be foster parents. It means we're going to adopt children that are unwanted. It means that we're going to uh, um, invest in those kinds of things that help people, uh, help children, help the homeless. Uh, loved ones, uh, disregarding the homeless is anti-life. Not, not embracing the poor is anti-life. Now, I, I don't believe that we have to redistribute wealth. I don't believe that everybody has to have a guaranteed income or whatever it is like that. But what I'm trying to say is that until we get a grip on life, our society is not going to change. It, every change that's made will be twisted and perverted into some other problem. Oh, boy. Corey, are we doing okay? Okay, Corey says I'm fine, so I'm going to keep going. Um, there is a conflict uh, in society that we have to, we've got to understand what we believe, but then we've got to walk it out in love. There's a conflict concerning family dynamics. We believe that God ordained what we call the nuclear family. We believe that there are situations and circumstances where the, the extended family has to come together, but we believe in the, the biblical family dynamics. Uh, we believe um, that we need to help bring clarity to conflict concerning human sexuality. You can't deal with all of those issues 
in one sermon. You can't just deal with those issues in a three-sentence doctrinal statement. There are layers. There are problems. There are things that are really uh, they, that are real, and they need the the hand of love and truth to help guide through those things. Now you say, well, we just don't have all these answers. No, we don't. But we sure better use the answers that we do have. Uh, there's also conflict concerning Christianity's place in society. Now, we're not at war with people that don't believe in the nuclear family or that don't believe in traditional marriage between man and wife. We're not at war with those that have different opinions on human sexuality. We believe there is right and we believe there is wrong. But those people are not the object of our war. We have always said that we love people but we will preach righteous behavior. And that's a lot more difficult to do than you think because Christianity has shifted over the last couple of generations. Christianity, number one, was seen as something to be marginalized. Now, I think it's inarguable. I think that it is, it is provable beyond any reasonable doubt that America was founded as a Christian nation. I, 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 don't, I don't think, now if you read revisionist history, but I think if you really understand history, you understand that that can't be argued. Now, there was never a time when everybody in America was a Christian. There was never a time when everybody in America went to church. But I'm talking about our laws, our beliefs. They were based on the Judeo-Christian ethic and principle. And even though we weren't a nation that was all Christian, we were a nation that had our foundation based on Christian principles. And it covered everything. Now, we did stupid things. Uh, we made treaties with Native Americans and broke, as far as I know, every one of them. That was wrong. It was sinful. That's not the way Christians live. We, we put uh, uh, American citizens in concentration camps at the beginning of World War II uh, who were of Japanese uh, descent, afraid they would be disloyal. We didn't do it to the German Americans, didn't do it to Italian Americans, but we took away their property. We took away, and we, we, did, we did horrible things. Jim Crow laws. Um, tried to perpetuate slavery long after slavery was abolished by law. We, we've never been a perfect nation. But please be careful before you write off a nation for not being perfect. Um, you, you say, well, if, if we had been Christian, we'd have done things right. I can say that about church members. You know, there's a lot of people that say they're Christians. They don't always live like Christians. There's a lot of pastors that live like spiritual, say they're spiritual leaders. They don't always live like spiritual leaders. No, but, but what I'm saying is we must be careful that our flaws are not corrected by greater flaws. We must be careful that our shortcomings are not made worse by other shortcomings. And I know that this is a political hotbed, and I, I know, I, I get the letters, I know that there's, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of layers, but, but Christianity has been marginalized. In other words, Christianity and Christian principles were at the heart of our nation, but they got marginalized, and then we moved to a place where Christianity was mocked. You know, Bill Maher says one time, well, if God is God, he's not a very good one because he hasn't been able to figure out how to talk to us in all these thousands of years. 
Well, Bill Maher doesn't understand how God talks, but he mocks Christianity because he's trying to make God something natural instead of something unnatural. And I'm, I'm just using him as an example. He's, he's, he's no better or worse than any of us, I guess. But Christianity is seen as something to be marked. Then when you get past that and you get comfortable with, with that, Christianity is seen as an object of maliciousness. We can say horrible things about Christianity. In fact, you can say horrible things in today's society about Christianity that you cannot say about any other group. Uh, because we are the object of maliciousness. And we're now beginning to see this come full bloom where Christian, Christianity is seen as not only an object of maliciousness, but as evil malignancy. Uh, Christianity is evil. We would be better off if they were removed from our presence. We would be better off with laws that do not allow opposing views to be expressed from the church. Uh, but then there's also the necessity of embracing life in our worldview. I, I, I want to give you these three warnings. I'm not saying that you are guilty of it or that I am guilty of it. I'm saying that this is the societal trend that we have to be aware of because it's seeping into churches. Number one is the trend uh, that has made tolerance lines be drawn in the wrong places. I believe we ought to be tolerant. I believe every American ought to have equal rights. I believe every American ought to, be, um, uh, ought to have equal justice. Not, not just Christians, but everybody. Uh, the nation of, you know, uh, uh, the religion of Islam, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, uh, Lakerism, uh, whatever, whatever those things are, people need equal rights. I, I don't have a problem with equal rights, but we have been so driven to have tolerance that we will draw the line over other people's rights in the name of tolerance. Uh, we need to, as I said earlier, we need, to, we need to be intolerant on some things, and that's matters of faith, matters of what the Bible teaches. Christians ought to be able to say, we don't think this is right, and we think this is wrong. We have that right as Americans. It's being removed, but we have that right as Americans. But we also need to be able to extend that same right to people of other views. Uh, the, the, the civil rights movement, I, I grew up in the civil rights movement, and I want to tell you, there was a fight for equal treatment under the law that was phenomenal. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how honoring many of the African-American leaders were in those Jim Crow days because they said, we just want to be treated equally. And that was a right thing to do. And I, I, I lived, I grew up through the tension of that, but they won that fight, uh, at least on many fronts, to be treated equally as anyone else. But the fights we're seeing today are not for equal treatment. They're for preferential treatment. It's for saying that we are right, and not only are we right, you don't have the right to have any other view than to have the view we want you to have. So we've passed from a noble fight to, to a, an, an ignoble fight. We, the, to, the lines of tolerance have been drawn in the wrong places. We need to be tolerant, but we also need to have lines drawn 
where tolerance is available for all. Number two, and I got, oh, just thundering amens on that one. So let's move on to another one. Um, Love has been cheapened. We have somehow been taught that love is enablement. That love just says, you know, I endorse everything. I support everything. I'll never speak evil about anything. And loved ones, the very heart of Christianity is that we love everyone while not embracing the behavior of everyone. We, we love everyone, but we even call out misbehavior in our own crowd, in our own family. We're not only saying the world should live right, we're saying you ought to live right, and I ought to live right. Pastor Corey ought to live right. Paul said to uh, one of the churches that he wrote to, and he said, I told you that you must not fellowship with wicked people. He said, some of you have thought I meant to not fellowship with the world. He said, you'd have to go out of the world to not fellowship with the world. Do you know Paul said that? He said, I wasn't telling you not to fellowship with people out in the world that are wicked. He said, I was telling you not to have fellowship with people in the church that are wicked. He said, there's a higher standard for the church of God. And, and loved ones, a lot of times we will allow um, something in our own midst because it's not our sin. See, we, we, we like to criticize sin as long as that's not our sin. And, and I want to tell you, it creates an us and them mindset. And you know what the difference between a good saved church member is and a worldling that's living like the devil and going to hell? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And we need to be careful. Boy, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm running a risk on being worshipped by you here. All this. So... <laughs> And life is cheap, and that's what I've been saying. Um, I, 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 we do our best to value life, but we do it in so many ways that are questionable or wrong. We, we begin by honoring life by taking care of our children. Dad, you begin by honoring life by going back home to that family you abandoned. Mom, you begin by being the mom to your kids you were called to be. And that's why we do food pantry. That's why we do benevolence. And we're not in the food pantry or benevolence business. But we also realize that every need of every needy person, if we can possibly touch it in some way, we want to do that. Now, we can't do everything. We can't solve every problem. But when Jesus comes, we want it to be said that we did everything we could. That's why Jesus said, when you give a cup of cold water, when you give a meal, when you visit in prison, one of these little ones, you did it to me. Every act of life is valued by Jesus. Every act of life is valued by Jesus. Now, how do we live in this time of war? Uh, we need to be aware here. This is, this is what I'm saying. We need to be aware that many, even in the body of Christ, have adopted the attitude of Lot. You remember, you know, you know, do you know that the New Testament calls Lot a righteous man? Uh, in, in New Testament vernacular, he was saved. Probably a member of the church in our vernacular. Lot was a righteous man. 
he, he recognized holy things. When the angels came into town, he knew immediately that these weren't just strangers passing through. He knew they were angels and he took them to his house. He brought them in. He said, it's not safe for you to live out here on the streets. He brought them into his house. And when a, a, a violent mob wanted to abuse the two men that went into Lot's house, he went out and did what is unthinkable to us, but I wonder if we don't do it in more subtle ways. He said, I have two virgin daughters that have never been touched in any way. Take them and leave these men here. You see, it's not noble to spout scripture. It's not noble to stand for righteousness at the expense of your children. I, I don't know how those girls ever could have trusted their dad again. A mad crowd set with their mind on rape and he says, take my girls. Just don't, don't, bother, my, don't bother these holy men. Now the holy men were able to take care of themselves. They stuck their head out the door and struck everybody blind. But I want to tell you, loved ones, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've seen so many times that we, we sacrifice our families in the name of a church or in the name of a ministry. Do you know what the, the, my first Sunday here, do you know what I told you the two things that were most important to me? And I thought I should have told, in fact, somebody said this to me, you should have told us before we voted. I said, number one, I will always put being in the Lord's presence ahead of being in your presence. I, I said, I have to hear from the Lord. I, I, I said, I can't be everything you want me to be. And I, I can't come everywhere you want me to come. I said, because the Lord comes first. And that's worked out pretty well. You've, you've, you've embraced that and let me do it well. The second thing I said is, I will never sacrifice my children for the church. I will never mistreat my children putting the church ahead of them. Now, my own children understood there were times that were emergencies. You know, if somebody calls and says, Pastor, my, my daughter's been taken to the hospital in a wreck. I don't know if she's going to make it or not. I would have never said, well, I'm sorry, this is family night. Um, I'll get with you tomorrow. No, there, there are, there's always a time for interruption. But what I said was, I'll never let my children grow up hating church because of the way I pastored the church. And loved ones, we all need to say that. We, we need to understand that we all need to serve the Lord, but we need to serve the Lord as he wants us to serve. And we need to understand that we have children that we need to raise up. And I... I tell you, it's amazing. I've hit so many home runs in a row here with you, with you today. Okay. Uh, don't, don't accept the attitude of Lot. Don't accept the attitude of Ahab. Does it concern, Ahab was considered one of the worst, most wicked kings ever, teeming with Jezebel. Um, now, Manasseh was the one that seemed to be the guiltiest. But Ahab was absolutely wicked, but he insisted on the true worship of God. But he also insisted that Baal be worshiped right alongside it. We don't want to fall into the trap of thinking, well, I have just enough Christianity to make me technically a Christian, but 
I also want to make room for all of these other things. I was in a pastor's conference and a pastor that I, he, he has forgotten more about God than I know. I don't want to call his name and, and, and dishonor him. He's far more advanced than I am. But he was talking about a very public figure. And uh, he said, well, we don't like what he's doing, but um, he passes the test for being a Christian. I think he's born again. And I thought, I don't know. I don't think so. And I didn't want to get embarrassed by being blown out of the saddle by asking him about it. But I got with him afterwards. And he said, well, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, and he's done this. I said, do you really believe that's all it takes to be a Christian? I said, I think that's all it takes to get elected in a conservative state. But do you really believe he's a Christian? He said, well, my place isn't to judge. And I said, okay, I respect you. I said, I'll take your word for it. But I, to this day, I don't believe the person he was speaking of was a Christian. Because this person, now I will say this, he is a smooth politician. No, you couldn't guess who it is. Because now I'll lie. I'll say no to whoever you say. But I know the state he's from. I know that that has a strong Bible Belt emphasis. And I said, he has embraced enough to get elected. But look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he was a perfect picture of Ahab. Yep, I know the roots, but I'll bring in other stuff that destroys families. Well, okay. Number three. This was the sin that caused God, uh, oh no, that was from my other point. Uh, we, let, let, me, let, me, let me go on uh, because I'm, I'm overlapping myself. Let me do the Christian life lessons. Number one, we must learn to love those who do not love us as we seek to return to biblical principles. Guys, I've talked about that already. If we're going to make a difference in this world, the people that disagree with us have to know that we love them. They're, they're not going to agree with us unless the Holy Spirit changes their heart. But this is not a battle of intellect. There's an intellectual component, but they need to know that we love them. Number two, we need to know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That is, they're not of the flesh. And I want to make it clear, especially to everybody listening online that may not know us, we do not embrace violence or the wrath of man. We don't think that one wrong action justifies another wrong action. We believe that this battle will be won by spiritual means. Now, we can utilize tools such as politics, but we don't put our trust in politics. We don't put our trust in boycotts. There's a time for politics. There's a time for boycotts. There's a time for this, that, and the other. But we realize that our victory is in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. And here's number three. We must put our confidence in the Lord's keeping power for our children. I'm going to talk a little bit about this when we talk about fearing and fretting. But some of us are so frightened for our children and our grandchildren. How are they going to survive in this? And I've known people that have backed away with the attitude of, well, if I leave the devil alone, maybe he'll leave me alone. Um, but listen to what God said to the people of Israel in Numbers. Um, in the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. 
Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. God said, you have disobeyed me because you didn't think I could take care of your children in a difficult time, in a difficult place, in a difficult period. He says, but I know that I have your children in my hand. And in a time of great adversity, in a time of great difficulty, in a time of great unfairness, in a time of death, I will bring your children in to what I've intended for them all along. Our ceiling is their floor. And here's number four. We need to teach and model Christianity for our children. We, this is not a time for compromise. This is not a time for abandonment. This is not a time for playing it safe. This is a time when we, when we um, serve the Lord with all of our heart, live it out, let our children see.